Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. So nice. I hope you have had a Merry Christmas. And we look so forward to getting into this broadcast. We're looking forward into the new year, 2015, see what it holds for us. And we have as our special guest today, Logan Motoshami, who is a senior loan manager at AFC Lending, financial contributor at Benzinga.com financial blogger, and he has really caught the attention of the networks and many of the experts because here he is out here studying the market and is beating a lot of the, uh, let's put it this way, his his predictions for 2014, which we'll cover just briefly, it's old news, birdcage material, as they say, but we're going to go into it and because he beat the experts on a lot of his predictions, so really interested in paying attention to him and what he has to say for 2015, especially when we look at housing, big driver of our economy, big driver of our industry, obviously. Very interested in it. And so Logan Motoshami will be with us a little bit later in the Hot Topics segment. You don't want to miss this. Special thank you goes out to uh, United Guarantee. We want to just thank them so much for what they're doing to make the industry and your jobs all easier. They're working hard so you don't have to, and you have – more time to focus on the more important things of your business. The last thing you want to do is have to keep entering information over and over again. So they've done some things with their technology connections that is pretty uh, pretty innovative. First of all, you get more done in less time by using their technology. You get a uh, rate quote and an, uh, or an MIS or an MI request or when you do your request, without having to leave your LOS for or, or pricing engine. So there's some real advantages in how they've integrated with some other pieces of technology. And they, you get a fast response to your MI request, and you can forget about those rate cards. Those things have gone the way of travel agents. They're a thing of the past. Well, some people still use travel agents for cruises, I guess, but you can still do it the old way, but you don't have to do it with United Guarantee. They do a great job. Very pleased with our relationship with them. For more information about United Guarantee's technology connections and uh, their list of the providers that they are working with, visit UGCorp.com or call your very friendly, very informed uh, account executive with United Guarantee. Again, it's Morgan Insurance, underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. Also, special thank you to the folks at Velma. That's my all your time I think of these because they're scrambling all the time. When you work with someone like me on this radio program, which is you, we provide this to the public service, but we don't have a huge budget and time. So they're always scrambling to stay focused on uh, what this Lincoln got coming up, and they're covering it so well. So special focus, uh, thank you to our friends at Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant, Velma.com. Check it out, B-E-L-M-A.com. Thank you to Brent Embler and the whole team there, Catherine Nordby and the whole group there that did such a fabulous job for us. And I just encourage you to check them out because they do a fabulous job with you and your email marketing campaign. Of course, a big thank you goes out to Alice and Joe and all those that contribute to this broadcast. Today we've got Alice, Joe, and 
Sam Garcia on. And so it's so good to have our friends with us. And then we're going to get into the hot topic segment a little bit later. No conferences to talk about. At least we're not got those on the calendar. We haven't updated our conference calendar yet. So let's get right into what's going on in the markets. Joe Farr, Happy New Year. Good to have you with us, Fred. Well, thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, yeah, starting out, uh, uh, you know, we're up today, which is good. We're up about 4.30 seconds right now. We've been a little bit higher, um, uh, but have fallen off that. And uh, no economic uh-huh. news came out today. We're, you know, uh, uh, we're about back to where we were uh, before the GDP revision that came out last week. And, and uh, so that puts us pretty close to near the best levels of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. I can't wait to find out what that means for as we move forward. So well, we'll see. But, so, but uh, what, what's on the radar screen that you got? I mean, there's not a lot of news. No, Greece is back in the news, Dave. We we've I saw that. seen them <laughs> uh, back to 2010, huh? Yeah, the, yeah. apparently the the government backed uh, president uh, was uh, up for vote, a parliamentary vote to. Um, to keep him in his position, and and he didn't garner enough votes. And uh, uh, what's going on in Greece right now? It seems as though uh, those austerity measures that uh, Germany and and the rest of the ECB forced on Greece in the bailout of of uh, Greece uh, is meeting with resistance from the people. Uh, the people have seen now the, the hardships created by the austerity measures for a few years, and they're not seeing their their prospects improve a whole lot. And uh, uh, the party out of power is gaining a lot of popularity, and, and there's going to be an election in January to, uh, uh, you know, that's going to pit the party in power, which is the austerity party and the uh, the uh, uh, challenging party of, uh, you know, referred to as the leftist party, one that's uh, anxious to uh, get out of some of those austerity measures uh, in January. And so, you know, I, I think that uh, it's not as big an issue as it was in 2010. Uh, the banking right. system is in far better condition and it's too early to say. I mean, there, there's similar similar sentiment growing in other countries, uh, primarily in Spain, where where the people are just um, you know upset with austerity measures and they want uh, they want somebody to come in and and do something about it, even though um, you know it means it means the government doesn't have the money to spend it. You know, it's a it's a situation where. Uh, the people want policies that the government can't afford without bankrupting the the government. So it does create some uncertainty, and uh, uh, there was a reaction to the results of the election in the European stock market early, but uh, that big drop that occurred early on, um, you know, some of it was given back, especially in in the southern states, uh, Greece and and, uh, Spain particularly. The stock markets were down there. Uh, our U.S. market is basically flat. I hadn't looked here in the last few minutes, but it's basically flat. So, you know, it's interesting that it's back in the news, and we'll see if if it grows from here. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, the focus back international. It just is, I think, in here about, as you were talking about this, I'm thinking about people that think, you know, money just, where does it come from? The lack of financial uh, awareness. I mean, just knowledge out there. Basic economics is just astounding to me in these countries, 
And we got it here in America. I mean, it's the only reason why we're we, do, we certainly about. do. I mean, yeah, no, we're, just, we're it, spending so more we, than we make. So yeah, yeah we're in a and the only, we get away with it for one reason: our U.S. dollar is just. I mean, now we're going to get into a hot topic with all of that, but it's really interesting. Let's talk a little bit about the, this last week. That was kind okay. of an interesting week for being a short week. Well, it was, and and you know, it comes with thin trading and and create some volatility but the news was what caused the big move in in prices last week we dropped about 25 basis points in price uh all of that came on on tuesday which was the day that the uh government released the revised third quarter gdp uh it was revised from 3.9 uh, the second estimate had it 3.9 all the way to 5% uh, consensus called for a rise, but only to 4.3%. So it was a bit of a surprise. It, it wound up being yeah. the best quarterly growth since 2003. Um, and quite frankly, there wasn't a lot in the in the revision that would cause you to challenge it. I mean, it was pretty strong growth coming out of the business investment sector and the consumer spending. You know, uh, as much as the bond prices didn't like it. Actually, I should say that the bond prices weren't as negatively affected by that as as one might think. Uh, the stock market liked it, and, and the Dow continued to been on a rise since the Fed meeting the week prior. But it's uh, now, yeah. as everyone I'm sure is aware, is topped eighteen thousand uh, in the Dow. Uh, Amazing. So you know, it was a it was a, a big day. Uh, good good numbers, but uh, not so good for the mortgage rates. Uh, the other data that came out during the week was uh, was a little mixed. Uh, actually, most of it was a little unfavorable or didn't meet expectations. Jobless claims fell, which was good to see, uh, but durable orders fell. Uh, expected down, uh, expected up three percent and fell seven tenths, uh, excluding the volatile transportation orders. The number was not all that bad, but uh, still was negative. The uh, new and existing home sales, which we'll be talking about later on, uh, uh, fell. Both fell about 2% from October. Uh, nice to see that inflation core PCE stayed yeah. flat. Flat. Yeah. No change there. Which That's encouraging, which hopefully keeps interest rates in the reasonable range down here. They're reasonable no matter what you even if it go up some, it's still considered reasonable. But boy, what oh, impact. absolutely! But it, but it, I mean, if it was flat, and then then you start asking questions of you know what about the other side of this thing? If we're not dealing with inflation, is there any real risk of deflation? And uh, I know no one's really saying that and talking about that. You hear a few blogs on that, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that as well. But well, anyway, and, this and week, that, go ahead. And that too is going to be largely affected by the you know the the price of oil and and its influence oh, yeah. on the price of gas and that its influence throughout the economy and so uh should we move in that direction i mean everyone should focus on core but uh you know that's going to be as the fed said in their meeting it's transitory and and is not going to be given a lot of weight because it's uh yeah. it's not going to stay this way for long yeah exactly. uh, that's that's to be anticipated yep yeah. So this week, so, uh, fairly light calendar. You got- yeah, it is. It, there's not much on it. Uh, again, it's a short week, much like last week. We'll close early on Wednesday and be closed all day Thursday. Um, the information that does come out, consumer confidence comes out tomorrow. Um, Chicago PMI and pending home sales on Wednesday. Uh, the ISM on Friday. Uh, and as I said, we'll be closed on Thursday. Yeah. 
Well, very, very interesting. It's going to be a short week, but not quite as much data as last week. We had that short week, but it was just old. on Wednesday. It was loaded. No, yeah, Wednesday, it was loaded. Tuesday, it was loaded. Up. Tuesday was loaded, loaded, right. Loaded, loaded, loaded. So not so much today, but we'll be looking at ISM on Friday. That will be rolling out. So we've got some, yeah, a little bit of here. Pay attention to But, folks, if you do not use this service called MBS quote line. You just, uh, I don't know what you're using out there to stay in touch, but especially when you hear that things going on, not much in the calendar, but you got Europe, you got to have a service that just brings you up to date on everything as it's happening. And I value this service. I use it constantly myself, and I just can't thank Joe and his team enough for all that they do for the markets. Joe, thanks so much. Looking forward to having sure. your participation in the discussion with Logan. It should be very interesting. And uh, we've got a lot of lots I'll talk about. So sharpen up your uh, your questions, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Folks, we'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS QuoteLine delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS QuoteLine, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS QuoteLine today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lincoln on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lincoln. Good to have you with us, everybody. So much fun to have this whole team together. And we've got Paul Mallow on the line. It's always fun to get some updates from the, 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 the top reporter in the industry out there chasing down everything. How are you doing, my friend? Merry Christmas, Happy New Year! Hope Merry you're Christmas, enjoying it. Yeah, no. Last week was uh, <clears throat> quite a busy week with news. This week it's it's starting off slow. We got some got some good transfer numbers from Ginny May. Uh, they were kind enough to tell us that uh, the agency approved about sixty six billion transfers last year. Uh, what makes that so interesting was a big plunge from the year before, and everyone's like, "Well, you know, there's no mega deals this year," which is true. And yeah. uh, I, you know, which sort of segues into Aquin, which is you know casting a pall on the entire bulk sale market. There's plenty of deals going on. There's a lot of small deals, there's a lot of flow deals, but there's no mega deals. I mean, everything that Aquin went through uh, has really dampened the market right now, and no one wants to do um, any business uh, in any major way if you're you're dealing with high touch servicing. So that market is sort of frozen. Uh, last week I couldn't make the show because the Aquin story was breaking the big settlement. Yeah. And Bill Irby was uh, resigning from all the boards, including Aquin's. Uh, so, you know, it will be interesting to see now that that, thing, that, that case is sort of settling or is settled uh, to see whether the bulk market comes back for, for legacy product. Um, you know, so, and, and the other story, of course, is, you know, Aquin's going to be selling like $160 billion in MSRs. And, you know, who's going to buy that product? Uh, and there's all sorts right. of speculation about who it makes sense for, who it doesn't make sense for. Well, maybe the banks will step back in, uh, but then they have Basel problems because of their MSRs and their Tier 1 capital. So it, it's an interesting story. Um, yeah, and, and it has, really some, significant, from, it has some significant ramifications to the industry. I mean, this This could be... And, you know, Aquin could still continue to have a huge influence on what's going on out there. That's, that's fascinating. Fascinating story. 
Yeah, I mean, and I don't know what the future is for that company. Uh, we could spend you could spend a whole show talking about Aquin, really. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you know, where does it? You know, they talk about growing the originations, and everyone in the industry knows. You know, they don't have much origination capacity, uh, and to 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 put capacity on, you got to spend money. And Aquin right. isn't a company that you know likes to spend money unless you know they ship jobs overseas and and they cut costs by. Uh, you know, being the lowest cost provider, and it's really hard to build yeah. an overseas platform with originations um, that's overseas, that is cheap, uh, and can compete in the U.S. against companies here because it's, you know, servicing can lend, you, you could argue that servicing lends itself to outsourcing uh, jobs overseas because it's more, more of a call center business. And mortgages originations are about selling, and that's it's hard to outsource that function, or at least to do it, you know, outsource it well. And that's going to be interesting to watch what their future is uh, with Bill Irby out the door. So, yeah. And and keep in mind that he's still a huge stockholder in Aquin. Yeah. So he's going to have some influence to some degree on what goes on there. Uh, also on the website today, uh, www.imfnews.com, we got a, a talk about uh, CoreLogic talking about housing trends. They think that first-time home buyers might be uh, somewhat of a force next year because their employment numbers are looking better. So uh, that's out there. Green Tree cut a new servicing advance line with Barclays, $1.2 billion. Their previous line was $100 million, and they used the, uh, to pay off servicing advances with Fannie Mae. Um, that's a story that we're going to explore a little more because apparently Fannie Mae is a big um, a big lender of servicing advances, and no one really knows about that. And um uh, we're going to get into that a little more uh, probably this week and next week. Uh, we have a story from Brandon Ivey about a couple REITs focusing on the commercial MBS market. Uh, that would include Penny Mac as well as Two Harbors. Those Both those companies are active in the jumbo space. It will be interesting to see how both these companies do in commercial, uh, commercial markets, which is a very strong, uh, as you may know, commercial MBS has had some very good years. Um, yes. And has returned to health, unlike the jumbo MBS business. So. Also on the web seat, uh, website, not seat, but um, a web law seat. firm is out there. <laughs> You're on the seat. But <laughs> I'm on the hot but seat. on the website. Uh, <laughs> Aquin, uh, stock has been crushed this year, getting back to Aquin. They're investigating Aquin. And, you know, like, like many other law firms, it looks like they're going to try and get a class action uh, lawsuit on behalf of Aquin shareholders. Just because, uh, by the way, I should point out, just because the law firm says it's investigating Aquin, and they want to do something on behalf of shareholders. They have to get class action certification before they could really move forward on that. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of damages, if any, Aquin will wind up paying the shareholders, or or whether this thing will just never reach the courts, or they'll reach some kind of settlement. Uh, and we have some short takes uh, out there. We point out that uh, Lending Club. Peer-to-peer lender recently went public. Yep. They have a market cap of $1.52 billion. And, and I point this out that because... That was amazing. Yeah, I mean, they, they've made $5 billion in loans since their existence a couple of years ago. It's peer-to-peer. None of this is real estate-backed. Uh, and their market cap is already $1.52 billion, which is m- worth more than PHH, which is sort of silly because they've been around for three decades and they service two hundred billion in loans. So, you know, obviously, someone is, is betting uh, they either have a great future, or short sellers are driving up the price of the stock by speculating it. Yeah. Um, so, those are all the highlights, uh, and we'll see what develops the, less, the rest of the week. We don't expect uh, 
uh, too much big news, but you know, you never know. Sometimes companies uh, spring something on the press uh, either on New Year's Eve or the day after. So we'll see what happens. Always interesting, and you've got it covered. I love your website. Go there all the time to just kind of check what's going on. If there's a rumor going on, you're on top of it. But you do it so responsibly, Paul. So I don't know how you balance that, but it's just a great job, Cap. So thrilled to have you on the part of the broadcast here Thanks all the for time. Me. And greet, greet all of your our friends there, and uh, wish you yourself a very happy New Year, my friend. Same to you. Thank you very much. You bet. Alex Alvey, so much fun to have you on here as always. Good to have the updates and what's happening out there. You sent your notes over to me. I've got them up here in front of me. So let's go into, we're talking about 2015. God, what do you think, Alice? Is it just going to continue to be more of the same for us on the regulatory front? Well, I think if we look ahead to 2015, you know, obviously we have the big integrated disclosure rule to yep. implement, and that's going to take a lot of time. Uh, we're going to have the Honda changes, but according to what is posted out uh, at the various agency websites, it doesn't look like we're going to even get a final rule to look at until somewhere in July, um, which means we'll have a little bit of a window there to ramp up for 2016. We still have the appraisal management company oversight rule that hasn't been finalized, so AMCs are anxiously hoping that will get ignored and not move forward. We'll see what happens with that. What I think is interesting and kind of plays a little bit to what Logan's going to be talking about is Fannie Mae's development and Freddie, of course, of collateral underwriters. So their user interface is growing. It's going to continue to expand in uh, Q1 2015. Everybody should take a look at Fannie Mae's quarterly compass that was published on their website just in December here. It's got some great links so you can read all about this product. And what you're going to find is an absolute dramatic shift in how appraisals are underwritten. Uh, today, you know, underwriters use a lot of speculation, and they have some pretty bright-line rules on if a comp is too far and not good. <clears throat> well, collateral underwriter may decide that you've got three comps within a mile, but they're still not the best comps. Or we have other reports that indicate the appraiser's data was incorrect here because other appraisers used different data. And you're going to have to reconcile these every single time you submit an appraisal. So gone is the day of speculative, you know, working with some very gray rules. And those who are using the UC, the uniform, uh, the collateral portal and the uniform uh, data collateral sets that Fannie and Freddie require now, I mean, there's still some community lenders out there who haven't gone that route. They're going to have to get on board because their reports yeah. and their analysis of appraised value is not going to be the same as the industry. So this is going to, this to me is the, one of the biggest game changers. Uh, that's going to be new and watching its impact on values, you know, what lenders will take as value versus what the, what a realtor thinks is value, I think it's going to be very impactful. Yeah, it's there's no question that uh, it, it will. But I'm, I'm thinking of all the things that are going to be impactful. The TRID coming up, that is going to – any sense on your travels that how everyone's going to be coming up with the TRID? I mean, does everyone really get – do you really think people are set for this? You have concerns. Well, I think there are different groups, right? So, actually, I just wrote an article on this that will get published in the Mortgage Compliance Magazine about where we see the different groups, where we – and then, actually, um, we're going to be putting in a few articles also for a couple other publications coming forward that will explain where the progress that we're seeing in each one of the groups. 
a lot of folks, I think, have digested the regulation to start to get a feel right. for what's going to come up. Uh, if you haven't even done that, then you are way behind the curve. Uh, we can help you that with that with our TRID, our Tila Respa Integrated Disclosure Training Package. That's not only a great resource to get you started training, but really just if you need to get around the curve to know what's going to hit you, uh, this is just a great reading resource of a shortened version of the mega pages. Uh, there are groups that are starting to identify, holy cow, I didn't think of that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, because when you first read it, it sounds like it's the same. There's certain, part, you know, they talk about zero tolerance and a 10%, and people go, oh, well, that's what we have today, and so they skim right through it. The reality is they're completely different, and we really have right. most of our fees sitting in a zero-tolerance bucket. Uh, so I, I think folks are just now starting to wake up to the reality of how very different it really is, and um, that will be evolving in the first quarter. I think we'll do a fairly good job of being ready for lots of providers, but um, I think there's a couple LOS providers that aren't going to make it around the curve. I've talked to a couple of companies that have had to switch systems because they, they know their provider is not going to make it around the curve. That so they're trying to go through a system conversion right now at the same time wow. as changing forms. Wow, wow, wow. It, that's, that's what we thought might be happening and uh, yeah. concerned about that. that. That's very interesting, Alice. Fascinating. Interesting. Well, what are you doing for New Year's? Are you going to be staying there up in cold Michigan or are you going to go off somewhere fun? Well, we actually have tickets to the Red Wings game. We're going to be watching a hockey game just like true northern folks would do on New Year's Eve. And that's outside too, isn't it? <laughs> no, this year we're indoors. Last year we did sit in the snowstorm out at U of M Stadium when Wings that's played Toronto. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy. <laughs> you were out there and I was thinking, oh, my gosh. Well, I mean. The Minnesotans and where I'm broadcasting from now in Michigan, uh, Michiganites are all very hardy folks to enjoy this kind of weather. They do it. It's crazy. So, Al, so much fun. Have a wonderful time at the game and happy Thank new you. year. Greet your family. Appreciate you so much. Feel like we're as close as family with all that we do here together and just value the relationship. So, appreciate you, Alice. Folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. All right, everybody. So, by the way, someone wrote me and says, you got a cold looking? I go, oh, yeah, let me tell you. It's, uh, this has been one of those interesting Christmases. Traveling, uh, we've done a lot, a lot of traveling, shuttling family around to get grandmas to where they need to be and have with family. And it has been just unusual Christmas and did not get the rest I needed. And traveling through some cold country, five below this morning when I was outside uh, going to the car. Uh, and yeah, I go, man, I forgot. I grew up here in Minnesota. I forgot how cold five below is. So I'm heading back down to, to uh, Sam Garcia territory. Be flying uh, home today and looking forward to that. So it's good to have Sam joining us. And I've got your website, mortgagedaily.com, up here. 
And it's interesting, I'm looking at the, the Christmas week mortgage activity off from 2013. First headline up here, Sam, good to have us, you with us. Give us a rundown. Hey, good to be on the show, and uh, glad to know I'm a little bit warmer than you today. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, a little bit. I'll be down there. All right. Well, uh, looking forward to having you back. Uh, you're right. Uh, one of our top headlines is uh, our mortgage market index. It was off. You know, it was expected to be off for Christmas, but what's more significant is that it was off 6% from the same week last year. So uh, we're a little bit weak closing out the year compared to 2013. We'll see what 2015 brings for us. Uh, the index, of course, reflects uh, product and pricing inquiry data that we get from Optimal Blue. Um, another story we put out uh, and that we covered was FHA endorsements. We show that uh, there was $14.4 billion in residential endorsements during October from information we get from HUD. And that was 6% better than September. And it was also the second month in a row that uh, FHA production was better. So that's, that's oh, nice. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, and another uh, good factor uh, as far as uh, operations go at FHA was that delinquency dropped to less than 13% from about 13 and a quarter in September. So, uh, you know, hopefully they can keep up these good trends. We'll see. Um, there was a settlement last week, uh, came in late last week, that we found out uh, as far as uh, it's on FHA claims. Uh, GTL Investments out of Michigan settled allegations that it violated the False Claims Act. Those come into play when you when uh, FHA claims are made on loans and uh, there's allegations of false claims. So this company out of Southfield uh, is accused of material underwriting deficiencies. So uh, mm. that was announced by the Department of Justice. Always something, you know, we've seen a lot more of that kind of activity in the last year. Uh, I expect that we'll continue to see it. Uh, FHA coming down on uh, mortgagees. Uh, we saw that uh, some more litigation was that uh, the National Credit Union Administration, it filed a lawsuit against Wells Fargo. And what's interesting is, you know, NCUA has been filing lawsuits against issuers and underwriters of, of residential mortgage-backed securities that were bought by the corporate credit unions that failed. There were a number of them. But what's interesting about this is it's, it, it filed the lawsuit against Wells Fargo as trustee of the RMBS. So um, mm. not the first one either. Recently, uh, gosh, I think it was just a week earlier or so, uh, a similar lawsuit was filed by that regulator against Bank of America and U.S. Bank as trustees for RMBS. We'll see where those go, but NCUA has had some pretty good luck, you know, when it, with its other lawsuits, its other MBS lawsuits filed against the issuers. Uh, I just... And it's going to be interesting to see where they go with these. Um, another, uh, another litigation, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, of course the regulator Fannie and Freddie, it, it intervened in one lawsuit and filed its own lawsuit in another case involving uh, homeowners associations foreclosure actions that wiped out liens on Fannie Mae loans. So this is a Whoa. serious issue. Um, it's two states that are at focus right now, and that's Nevada and then Washington, D.C. And in the Nevada case, there was a $6,000 HOA lien that was foreclosed, and that wiped out an $885,000 lien that Fannie Mae held. So a similar ruling you know, has been made in Washington, D.C. This is going to be something that everybody's going to continue watching real closely because that's a no, pretty serious it. issue. Uh, you know, to wipe out liens like that, and 
uh, either, you know, that I could lead to uh, no lending on properties, you know, and those yeah, areas the consequences, that uh, have that kind of a thing. Wow. So, that's, we'll, that's, we'll see, that's we'll see where that case winds up. That, those are both in action. And uh, like I said, the FHA, FHFA uh, intervened in one case. So uh, the other story I wanted to cover here was uh, there was an announcement last week about Skyline Capital. Uh, Skyline Home yeah, Loans announced, announced that it raised $18 million in debt and equity. And the capital is is going to be used to enter the high-growth non-agency mortgage market. That's what they said in the uh, announcement. And what's interesting about Skyline is uh, its CEO, Bill Dallas, you know, he's got that yeah. non-agency experience. You know, he was CEO of uh, the former subprime lender, Own It Mortgage Solutions, and he's got some other experience there too. So it be interesting to see what happens there. And I know everybody's always interested when anything non-agency is coming out that's new and, uh, you know, hopefully this will turn into something that's worthwhile for some of the players out there. Yeah, it, it's an encouraging development. I know Bill was working on that, and uh, I'm so pleased to see he was able to pull that off. We'll see if that's a signal of more to come or is it just his tenacious ability to go out and stay at it. And uh, so it'll be really interesting. Sam, thanks so much. Appreciate you taking time in this short Always week. good to be here. Join us. Always good to hear. Check out the website, folks, if you haven't. Make sure and make the mortgage daily a part of your broad, I mean, your uh, way of getting information. And get a hold of Sam if you want to sign up. It's Sam Garcia at mortgagedaily.com or call him at 214-521-1300. Check out their website, www.mortgagedaily.com. All right. Well, we're excited to have uh, with us today uh, our special guest, uh, Logan Motoshami. Logan is someone I started tracking on Facebook and LinkedIn, and uh, I, I saw some of his predictions. I go, oh, I like this. And then I go, wait a minute, he's a, he's a loan originator. Now, how can a loan originator be competing with these guys that are study this all the time? And then you get to know Logan, and you go, boy, he is in. He is not your average run-of-the-mill loan originator. He is a senior loan manager at AMC Lending Group. He's also a financial contributor at, uh, again, as I said, Benzinga, it's B-E-N-Z-I-N-G-A dot com, financial. He has also got a, uh, been on CNBC. He's been on, uh, on, if you go over to his website and check that out, you'll see that he has been on, uh, I believe it was, Logan, if I'm not mistaken, you were on with uh, Bloomberg as well. Is that correct? Yeah, so I've got a few uh, interviews with Bloomberg and uh, spoken to CNBC this year as well. Well, not even Diana Orlick is starting to pay attention to what you're saying because of your accuracy. But anyway, I, we're getting into this stuff. I just want to say, Logan, it's good to have you back on the broadcast. Uh, if they don't, if people don't know you, they certainly need to know you. I, 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 I say that from for a number of reasons. First of all, you're accurate, and uh, but I just love the fact that you're. There's several side stories here. It's the use of social media, how we connected. It's the knowledge and the research that you're putting in there. And so people say, well, we got to find out what this economist says, what that economist says. No, I'm telling everybody, pay attention to what Logan Motoshami say. It's really got some great stuff. So let's, uh, it's good to have you with us, Logan, and hope you had a good, good to be back. Merry Christmas. Good to have you back. Always love it, and we can talk a lot about you, and we do. Uh, but for those that don't know, give us a, just a quick, you know, you are a senior uh, loan manager at AMC. This is a business with you and your dad have, if I'm correct. From our previous yes, uh, we, we've had our uh, family-owned mortgage company here for uh, 28 years, and uh, our family in general has been in banking since the late 1950s. So this is kind of what we do. 
And uh, when, you're, when you're focused just to work on numbers, math, facts, and data, um, uh, you can see why the housing pundits, economists, real estate agents, everybody's been wrong, and not just for this year. I mean, this year was a, was a tragic miss on many fronts. But if you look in the yeah. Past, yeah. Yeah, past 15 years, uh, housing, the housing analyst com- uh, community hasn't been that good. And I, I primarily, uh, uh, the factor for that to me is that a lot of them don't have a financial lending background. And if you actually have real live conversations with them and you break down their models, you can see terrible flaws um, ranging from all groups. And I think there's where I knew this was going to be the case late 2012 when people started talking about, oh, the great boom in housing, here we go again, because they were falling off the price metric, which, which wasn't a very good metric to use in this cycle. And then in 2013, you had the housing nirvana crew come out and um, how is Nirvana Nirvana narcissism, as I, as I call them. But if you look back on May 7th of 2013, I wrote an article basically warning that when the second hand of inflation comes in for housing, which is interest rates, and I'm not a big rate guy in terms of total demand, because the internal demands were so weak that that's going to impact sales. And everybody was saying that's impossible. Rates are so low. That's a silly notion. They were twitting things to me. Look, your payment's going to grow up. I said, just wait. And if you look at that point, if you look at the data from uh, May 7th, 2013 to today, mortgage purchase applications have been in a bear market trend. Why? Because interest rates went up. Okay, so it impacted demand. But prices went up too. So PITI, principal interest taxes and insurance, the factor models in regards to real median incomes was, wasn't very good. And this is why housing demand didn't come through. And 2014, I knew for a fact that this was going to be the year that it showed that a lot of the economists, a lot of the housing pundits, and again, the Nirvana narcissism crew, was going to be wrong because they, they're looking at the wrong information. And this has been going on for 15 years. So it wasn't, it wasn't a shock to me, but I think finally, I'm, I'm finally seeing some people realize, wait a second, if we missed it this yes. bad... In this year, I mean, you've got to look, 2014, we had rising inventory, lower interest rates, rising right. rents. Rent inflation is at the peak of the cycle. You had an economy posting the best monthly average job numbers since 1999, and you have four to five last GDP prints at 3.5%. If I would have taken every single housing person on CNBC, Fox, uh, Bloomberg, anywhere – and told them that for 2014, they would have said, things are booming, we would be great, you know, housing is back, we're going to have great expansion. No. What happened was we had negative year-over-year demand um, for existing home sales. New home sales, uh, which was supposed to be 25%, end up basically being really 2 to 3% growth at best, you know, when we get the last final numbers. So what happened? And I think finally we're starting to see some people, you know, hmm, my models are broken. And I think once they get that, yes. you're going to get a little bit better analytical information from the, the, the housing community. Well, you caught the attention of Diane Orlick. I'm looking at uh, up here. For those that are wanting to connect with you and watch what you're doing, check out his blog. It's Logan, L-O-G-A-N-M-O. His last name is M-O-H-T-A-S-H-A-M-I.com. If you go to that, you'll see a smiling face when he was on the uh, uh, one of the programs here, and he's got snowfall in the background. He's got his 2014. I suspect you're going to be posting your 2015 forecast here shortly. 
Yes, it, it, it's up, and, it, and we go over many uh, seven different areas. But you know what? What? What I wanted to do with the 2015 prediction is to basically. Oh, and say there that. it is. I was realizing I, I I was connected to the old year last one, and I was reading for the, getting ready for the broadcast. Yeah, I see that now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really going to show that the bar is so low in housing right now that a very predictable tactic that I've seen housing analysts use for 15 years is that they use low bar metrics to all of a sudden go, Hey, wait a second. You know, we're going to see an increase here. And that means that really means that housing's recovering that booming demand. So I wanted to emphasize on that because I'm already seeing people write that first time home buyers are going to come back and they're going to come back in big numbers. Well, in reality, first time home buyers hit a 21st century low in 2014. Okay. So, if you get an increase of a little bit, is that really a valid thesis to make? But this is a tactic that housing bulls have always used for years now, that they take low, low bars and then they, you, you get an uptick in percentage and they, they say, look, we were right. But if you actually break down the numbers, if cash buyers weren't 20% above their historic gnomes this year, existing home sales would be at $3.95 million. That's lower than the lowest wow. point of uh, home sales in the Great Recession. So we are being, and I always talk about this, and I talk about this in the article, that 45% of all homes in this country are bought by the rich. And I have my own metrics for the rich, you know, cash buyers and those. Yeah, well, I define the rich, if you have. Yeah, the rich to me are cash buyers and those who are making two and a half to three times median income. Okay, that's about 132,500, you know, to about 159,000. Now, people go, well, that doesn't sound rich. Well, if you, you know, majority of the country, you know, don't even make the median income of 50, 53K. So to them, that's rich. And in residential lending, it's all about debt-to-income ratios, and it's all about liquid assets. And that revolves around incomes. I'm not, I'm not a person that believes in tight lending. I think tight lending is a myth. Um, I, still to this day, nobody has ever proved to me why it's tight? I know we've, glad you say we've, that. we've come from we've come from a, you know the pendulum swing theory. You know, uh, Mark Sandy used to say that the pendulum swung so much, but actually Mark Sandy doesn't even know the core standards of lending. VA loans, zero yeah. percent down, sixty percent debt to income ratio, six twenty FICO, FHA, three and a half percent down, forty three percent debt to income ratio. GFCs are five percent down, forty three to fifty percent debt to income ratio, six twenty FICO. It's not about that. I think that's the problem we see with the economists and housing analysts is that they don't have a financial lending background, and because they don't, I think that's they, a. Yeah, I think you raise a really, really good point here. It's important to have a, a good understanding of the the whole mortgage industry, how it works, and some of the things that have been put out there for a while are just crazy. I guess just drives me nuts when I get asked to be on television and talk about how tight credit is. And I go, Alice and I used to underwrite loans way back in the old good old days, Alice, and for years and years. And then, I mean, I think Andy Shell raised a question in one of the previous broadcasts that was really interesting. He says, yeah, but we've got computerization now. We have better models. We can take different risks, and we can expand the credit box. And I go, I don't know. I'm just not buying that. I'm just not buying that. I'm still – I heard one guy say – We've become too reliant on the carbon-based systems, automation, excuse me, on the silicone-based systems, which is the automation, automated underwriting, and less reliant on the carbon-based systems. That's us humans. And I really hold on to that. So I think it's an interesting uh, what you're putting out here. So, again, folks, check this out. Alice and Joe, be sure to go to the 
website, Logan Motoshami, and you'll see his predictions here. As we get into the broadcast, I want to have you guys come in, and I should have sent you guys this link. I'm so sorry. I was stuck. I still had it stuck on the, uh, the 2014 because I was going through that in preparation of the broadcast and how many of these predictions were accurate. So let's get into some of the things that you think, the, the, the specific prop, the predictions you're making. There's seven here on your website. Let's go through those. So let's talk about mortgage rates. I mean, that's going to be a big prediction for where things are at. You say you see the predict the ten year note yield will be in the range of one point six to three point oh four. Let's talk about this. What that means to interest rates? Well, it, it, in for interest rates, you're looking at a three and a half to four and a half percent range for next year. And you know, one sixty was kind of the low point in uh, two thousand thirteen before you know the taper tantrum happened and rates spiked up. And three oh four is basically that top line. Of uh, 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 of the ten year, if that could be broken, you know that that to me that would mean a bullish uh, indicator for the economy. But I think we're going to be in a range like that. I mean, if you look at, you know, for the past ten years, everyone has predicted rates would go higher. Why? Because they base their economic models on an old model that says growth will make interest rates. But if you look at the last since 1981, you know, the ten year was at 15.84. I think at peak, it's gone for a lower trend for 34 years. You look at Germany, Japan, everywhere else. The, the country can't take higher rates. Okay, I mean, I mean, to me right now, four point seven. The globe, the globe can't take higher rates. That's just well, the country, globe can't the take higher rates. I mean, even even now, look at look at a four and a half percent interest rate in America has impacted demand. I'm not a big rate person, but you could see that you know mortgage purchase applications, and this is a crazy stat, but you know, um, uh, but I but, uh, but I believe in it. Since the data has been found, we've never had a year where we were in an up cycle where rates fell the entire year and mortgage purchase applications were lower every single week of the year, year-over-year numbers. And there's only been about four weeks where they were under uh, double digits uh, negative prints. Okay, the market is telling you something, okay, yes. that, that doesn't kind of jive with the housing. So. So for rates, I'm looking at a three and a half to four and a half percent. You know, if we could break under 160, then you know we could maybe hit all-time new uh, lows in this cycle for the 10-year. But if we could break over three, 3.04 percent, then I think that that indicates that the U.S. economy is going to be stronger than what uh, many people think. So I'm going to say in that range for the year. Well, I, I went. I started. We jumped to number two, which is mortgage rates. You talked about existing home sales. Just real quickly, I want to come back to the mortgage rates because that's really what I think is going to be a bit of a driver of, at least I, I suspect. But let's talk about existing home sales right now. You're predicting that you're going to see somewhere in a five million to five. Well, actually, was that? It's a five million to five twenty total number of homes sold in 2015. Yeah. So, talk and, and, a little bit about and that. Yeah, and here's here's a here's a case thesis on that. Last year, you know, I show I said we could get about conservatively 5.25 million, but but the caveat is this: cash buyers can't fall one buyer. It's got to stay exactly the same. Which basically, I'm telling yeah. you, uh, home sales are going to be negative because uh, even though cash buyers were at a high percentage, the volumes were lower. So what happens is that you know you got lower volume. So we're only going to be down maybe 200k. Uh, a year over year in total sales, but the fact that inventory was up and rates were down and mortgage purchase applications were negative shows you the real demand out there. And right yeah. now, I'm saying five million to five point two zero, which is a slight beat from this year. 
But again, if, you, if, you, if the cash buyers are slowly leaving the marketplace, you need mortgage buyers not only to step up to take their place, but to grow even higher. So right now, I'll, I'll say 5 million to 5.20, which is a slight beat from, from this year. But, you know, a lot of these Fannie Mae, these Wall Street firms, we're talking about 5.7 to 5.8 million home sales for 2014 existing. That would imply a 30% increase in mortgage purchase applications for wow. 2014. That's what their model showed them. I was like, hmm, it didn't make sense because if you look at what happened is that from May of 2013, mortgage purchase applications have been in a, a downward trend in a bear market basically for, for, for that period of time. Interesting. Fascinating. But before we move on too much from this, uh, Alice and Joe, do you want to jump in with any questions that you have at this point? Well, I'll let Joe jump oh, in on the rate sorry, question because mine's more yeah, about yeah, volume. Yeah, go yeah, ahead, uh, Logan. Uh, yeah, when we hit the the low uh, in thirteen of uh, you know three and a half or so, we had the Fed buying you know seventy five percent of new purchase or, or new securitized mortgages. Uh, without them in the market, do you think we can get back to the 3.5% low range? That has more to do with the world economic situation than anything. I mean, we clearly, you know, once the taper started here in, in America, mortgage rates went down. If we look at back this entire cycle, every time QE has been taken out of the system, rates fell. And it, and it happened again once the taper started and once uh, QE officially ended, rates went lower. Some of that has to do with the world, you know, in deflationary mode. Uh, so I think the Fed out of the picture doesn't really, you know, for us to get back down to, I think the low rate of 2012 intraday was about 1.35 on the 10-year. We had a, a Spanish default yeah. fear scare, and that flooded so much money into our 10-year <laughs> because, you know, that, that people thought where Spain was going to default. For us to get to that level, basically, we, we need more world weakness because, uh, people will buy our bonds. That's basically a safe bet. I mean, yielding yield price for for government debt is is crazy. If you look at Spain, Spain is priced under two percent, but they have a you know twenty five percent unemployment rate. So, uh, if the world is getting weaker, you know, if Russia collapses or something in that nature, then definitely we could break through that one sixty level and, and hit all time fresh lows. But that has more to do with the world than us. I mean, our economic numbers are improving. Well, the it, world is kind of going lower. And what has a little bit to go with on with what's going on with oil prices as it relates to Russia too. If you look at what that's doing, the strain that's putting on certain countries, and you, you know, it's it. So this is very interesting. It's got so many moving pieces on this. Uh, and the thing that I like, we, you and I, for the listeners that are that are tuning in, Logan and I are getting ready for our broadcast. And we were going back and forth with some uh, messaging uh, last night. And and we were t- I was talking about one of my favorite economists, Harriet Dent. It, he's got some great stuff on the demographics. But Logan, one of the things that impressed me in our, when we were going back and forth last night is you stick to the facts. You don't get out into the land of speculation. You say this could happen. This could that's speculative. Here's what we know, and I think that's what's so key to what has been accurate about what you've been doing in in, in these forecasts. Is you really don't get sucked off into those well. Other areas well, you know, so tempting. perma bears and perma bulls tend to be wrong 90% of the time. They'll say something is going to happen. They'll spend 90% of the time saying it's going to happen. And then when it happens, you, they tell you everything's been right. So I think the internal data reads are difficult. Uh, uh, Harry Dead, you know, uh, uh, 
know, make these stock market claims. I mean, I'm a big demographic guy myself. I just think that's the most crucial thing in world economics. But, you know, to, to say stock market predictions, the market's going to go to 6,000 at a certain time, it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, Peter Schiff is the same way, gold 5,000 every other second year. And it does, these, these people are great marketers. Uh, their followers yes. will yeah, follow them to the end of time. Yeah, they will follow them to the end of time. But it's very difficult when, when you have to actually work with day-to-day data. You know, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to, to say that the Dow is going to hit 6,000 next month or something like that. It's just, it's just not, it's not a reasonable way. Well, now that, we're, now that we're on the topic of equities, I mean, we just hit 18,000. What's your thoughts on that? I know not projecting, but just looking at what things – is this sustainable? I mean – I keep going every time we hit these kind of highs. I've, I've always been more of a technical. Uh, you know, I like the fundamentals, but I also look at the technical. And you look at this, and at a time, it just begs for some type of correction that's going to happen in 2015. And do you go there? What do you do with what I what look, I tell my your head I, what I tell my fellow bear friends who are waiting who's been who've been waiting for a stock market crash since 2009. If you look yes. at the peak of 2000, we had a stock market bubble, clearly, you know, uh, the 10 year was at 6.2%. The Fed funds was much higher. It crashed. Okay. So, yeah. so that, that, that was a valid in, in 2007, we had this huge debt leverage housing bubble and the 10 year was at 4.7%. The Fed funds was much higher. We crashed. Look where we are today. We still have 0% interest rates. The 10 year is, you know, two in the low twos. Um, it's going to be very difficult to get a crash and, and you for at a, the stock market yeah. crash, you need the economics to crash as well. You need, a, you need a downtrend. And if you look at all the economic indicators, there's nothing out there that's showing. And I think this has been the problem for people that yeah. keep on saying that the stock market's going to crash, is that, that the, any of the economic data doesn't show it. So once interest rates rise on short and long end, then the market really looks expensive. And then we, if, if the economic numbers start, don't start pulling through, then, you know, you, you could, people could start making a crash thesis. But, again, it's just we're not there. And, you know, 2014, a lot of the indicators yeah. of economic got better. So um, uh, as long as rates are low, and we're talking about a lot of Fed rate hikes with duration time frame. But, you know, so that's, to me, that's, that's where I see the stock market. I mean, it's actually very expensive if you look at normalized rates, but we're nowhere near Nothing anywhere. Near, yeah. Um, to that factor. No, no. Let's get into the, some of the other predictions you have here. Let's talk. We've talked about mortgage rates. I want to make sure just to entice people to come in and read it with the time that we have. We've got about five minutes before we have to go off air. But let's talk a little bit about, and I apologize for the sniffling going on here in my nose. This, this thing is just driving me crazy with the symptoms trying to hit me. But let's talk about mortgage purchase applications. You predict some growth on the purchase applications year over year. Talk about that yeah, a little bit. It, it's, you know, you've got to be disciplined on the up and down side. So when mortgage purchase applications hit a 21st century low, uh, you know, you have to say to yourself, is, is things bad enough to get another 10, 10% decline in? And I think where, we at, where we're at right now is where we were at the 2012 level. Um, uh, so we're kind of right there. And for us to get another 10, I mean, maybe, maybe I am too bullish that mortgage purchase applications will be up 5 to 10%, but... When you hit century lows, uh, you know, you, you have to be mindful of that. I think a lot of people who are 
permanently bearish, keep on saying things are going to go lower and lower and lower and lower. But, you know, I couldn't come up with a thesis to get another 10 to 20% decline in mortgage purchase apps. So, you know, flat to slightly yeah. higher is, um, is my call. But really, by the end of March of 2015, you'll see how the housing market will uh, really look like. Because really, mortgage purchase applications are from really January to May. Everything else after that is, is kind of irrelevant. It's really the demand you see early. So we'll see early on. But I've been a bear on mortgage purchase applications apps for a while. And now now that we've hit 21st century lows, we need to be a little bit mindful that it's going to take a lot worse economic data to, to get lower than that. One of our listeners just sent me a message that says, ask Logan, does he update quarterly his predictions and his and what he sees happening, and I, well, I'll ask him. Do you you know, um, I mean, I, I write articles maybe once or twice a month, and but you know, it, really, a lot of my a lot of people who follow me follow me because I basically give my housing updates daily on CNBC's uh, uh, articles. That's how Diane and I got got to meet. Um, uh, I follow the market daily, so everything I write or anything you see on the on the web or Twitter sure. or anything like that is daily. It's not. I, I, it's not even quarterly. You have to follow this stuff daily uh, to, to get trends right. So uh, if you follow me right. on Twitter, which is uh, at, at Logan Motoshami Twitter handle, um, you'll see information on housing daily put up. You know, and a lot of it ties in with every single. And if you go to my Facebook page, Logan Motoshami, there are about 20 or 50, 20 to 25 economic charts put up daily, and it's all with real live live information. Yeah, it is so- excellent. <laughs> I, I come on your website all the time. Every time I'm doing something, I'm checking out. It's really good stuff. Let's talk a little bit. Joe talked about Greece. What about? Are we going to see some outliers? Is the is the global the global scene's always there as a potential threat can upset the markets? But let's talk about Greece. What what thoughts do you have on what Joe was talking about earlier? Well, it's political now with Greece. You know, with with the elections, you know, do they actually try to renegotiate or do they try to leave the euro? I don't think um, they would try to leave the euro at this stage. Now that they've stabilized, they will try to probably renegotiate some things. But it would be, I mean, if Greece left the euro in the short term, that'd be very damaging. Maybe in the long term, that'd be better for them. But uh, I, I don't, you know, I know. Do they Greece, get it, though? Greece, do they get it? I mean that's the well the Greece three I'm year the three years up to now twelve percent if you looked at the uh, the Greece bonds today so I mean it, it it the market is telling Greece you better be careful so I don't think they want to have a repeat um, you know if, if you actually if the ECB wasn't there if the euro wasn't there you'd see a massive devaluing of currency from all those countries uh, yeah. out there because they're 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 just living on a thread kind of you know it's not really strong growth. So the market would price it better, but uh, the yields are so low right now. I don't think Greece is going to, you know, push it over. There might be a lot of renegotiation talks. But I don't think Greece will do anything to leave the euro. Not at this stage of the cycle. Russia is really the big outlier. Yeah, that's the big outlier that I think it could have to really, yeah. Any, yeah. What was? What are the? Oh man, we're already at ninety seconds left of the broadcast. There's so much information here that I want to cover. That we just gotta have you back with more regularity. Yeah. I love the your main thing to watch, love... The main thing to watch for housing in 2015 is, or what the builders are going to do with the new home sales market. New homes are more expensive now than ever in the history of the U.S. And uh, do the builders actually start cutting prices to match existing inventory? I've been slightly more bullish on existing home sales because I think more right. and more mortgage people are going 
there instead of new homes. So the big thing to watch, I think, for 2015 is what do the builders do? Because if you look at the median income to median price, home, home, the home prices have just gone to the roof for new homes. And I think the builders lost, and that's why I was uh, more negative than anybody in 2014 with new, new home markets. Listeners, check it out. Go off to his Facebook page, and it's your Logan, and it's M-O-H-T-A-S-H-A-M-I.com, or go to his, and that's his name, so just he's all over LinkedIn and Facebook. Check it out. Logan, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. We really appreciate it. You're just giving us your housing projections, and uh, really, really good stuff. I love it. I could talk to you for a long, long time, but we've run out of time, folks. Be sure to come back next week as we're going to be giving you a market update, just talking about what we look forward to with the news. So be just Joe, Alice, and I looking forward to that discussion. Have a great week, everybody, and Happy New Year. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening.